Hey everybody, welcome to another round of uh, Digging Deeper. We prepare these videos for you after uh, a sermon on the weekend and hopefully it just gives us a chance to to go down a little deeper on a couple aspects of the sermon, a lot of our small groups have been picking them up and using them along with the questions that come out um, on Sundays after the sermon. And together, watching the video and then talking about the questions together, they have been able to, I think, uh, take some more out of the sermons, right? And yeah. get a little more yeah. out of it. <clears throat> yeah. So a couple of things we were going to talk about this morning. Um, first of all, I mentioned uh, the main message that I uh, preached on um, Sunday could be kind of summarized in, in these three phrases. I can't, God can, I'm going to wait on Him. And one of the interesting things I discovered as I was preparing for that was that Alcoholics Anonymous actually has its roots uh, in an, a discipleship group called the Oxford Group. And their first three statements are a, really a restating of those three phrases. I can't, God can, I'm going to wait on Him. Yeah. And I know t uh, many of you may or may not, uh, may not be aware of this, but Terry has some experience both in a secular context and in the church working with people through difficult uh, hang-ups and habits and, and addictions. So I thought maybe it would be good to just plumb that little area, Terry, drop down yeah, a little bit yeah. of a, you know, probe it a little more. Tell, tell <clears throat> us maybe, do you feel like the first three statements, for example, summarize something about the Christian life that is really helpful and important for us to know, and then going beyond that into Alcoholics Anonymous, what kinds of things have you seen in, in those kinds of programs that are helpful for us to know? Well, yeah, I think definitely those first three things is um, the foundation of step one, like you talked about, you know, the, the, I can't. Well, how do I know that? Because look at my life. It's unmanageable. Yeah. Um, God can, you know, came to trust God and, and um, believe that he could restore me to sanity. And um, I'll wait on him then becomes the process, all the other steps. Yeah. So, so I loved what you said about actively waiting and passively waiting. Um, the, the idea of discipleship and transformation is waiting. But it's actively waiting. Yeah. It's waiting in the context of of the spiritual disciplines, the practices, um, and and John Ortberg uh, had an opportunity to have a uh, really great conversation with him back in September. Um, he's right now dabbling in the twelve steps in discipleship, and and um, he's had a lot of things. His ministry has been fairly public, but he's had a lot of challenges in ministry. He's kind of pulled back, and one of the things he said this out loud uh, in in a room full of people, so I don't feel I'm betraying any trust. Mm -hmm. um, but he did say that he had attended AA meetings the last couple of years, and what he's finding in there is he's finding a way to relinquish some of the hurts that have come to him in ministry and his family. Um, but deep on a deeper level, he found the discipleship process. Oh, uh, interesting. And, and Just out of curiosity, did he go there for a problem with alcohol or for a desire to know more about an unmanageable life? No, as he presented it, he went there um, because of some of the hurts that uh, have come up yeah. in, in his ministerial life That's over the past few years. Yeah. Um, and and those are they're fairly uh, common knowledge. Yeah. Those things. Yeah. Um, and what he found was that the receptivity of people who were in process was healing to him. Yeah. But also the steps, following the steps, and yeah. and so when you get to the the steps of like making amends, you know that that's a scriptural concept mm -hmm. of. Um, you know, before you bring your gift to the altar, you go to your brother and you you forgive them and you ask forgiveness. 
um, the the idea of making a searching, fearless, moral inventory um, resonates with me in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. You know, search my heart, O oh God. Show me the hurtful ways that are in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these 12 steps. And then the, the, the 12th step itself is evangelism. Mm -hmm. Having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we share that good news with others. Interesting. And, and so um, when you said that in the message, um, I loved the idea of, number one, it's active waiting. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to engage in this process that's unfolding, but not simply for my own healing. Ultimately, our healing um, leads us to a place where we now have something to offer others. Mm -hmm. So I begin to become the kind of person who realizes that the only thing I offer anybody is my own transformed and transforming presence. Mm, interesting, yeah. And that's what discipleship is. Yeah. Tr discipleship is I'm actively engaging in the process of transformation, participating with God, and I know that as I do that, I am being transformed. So now I have a transformed and transforming presence to bring, which then makes sense with the idea, I can't, God can, I'm going to wait on Him. Well, isn't that what life then becomes? Mm, mm. The entire act of living becomes that waiting on God. Waiting on God for what? To do what, what Paul tells us he's doing, mm -hmm. transforming us from glory to glory to the image of Christ, yeah. Yeah. ultimately culminating with me being in Christ's presence yeah. and being the very image of him. Yeah. So let me, let me bring something into sharp focus with all of this. Addictions is a particular area in life where many of us are not always aware to the extent we're addicted to various things. Wouldn't you agree? Like uh, For sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when you've worked hand in hand with people who say have n definable addictions, I'll just use an example. Say they have um, an addiction to a drug. What have you learned about the long obedience in the same direction? Yeah when it comes to working through an addiction and the Christian life? Because a lot of people, I think, they struggle with something, they're not sure of where the start is and what the finish could look like, and there's just this big gray, fuzzy thing in between. Right. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so I think it was Eugene Peterson, you would know better than I, because he was one of your teachers, but I think it was Eugene Peterson who used that phrase, long obedience in the same direction. I, I love that phrase, and it's a fantastic phrase, but I think it's easy to overemphasize the word obedience, mm, mm -hmm. and then what happens is discipleship becomes a process of, did I do the right thing or the wrong thing? Mm -hmm. What I would use is the word attachment, okay, uh -huh. because I think that, and, and I had this conversation with John Ortberg, and he was taking notes. So if he publishes a book, I better get some credit in there. Cause <laughs> a I had a conversation years ago with him about the Enneagram in Dallas Willard, and he said, you need to write a book. I said, no, you need to write it. You're the author. You're the, you have publishers. <laughs> and he, he never wrote that one. So if he writes this one, hopefully I get something in the Ford somewhere. <laughs> but, but I think when we take the idea of that the root of addiction is, a, is what um, somebody like Gerald May, the Presbyterian pastor and psychologist, yeah. would call an inordinate attachment. Mm -hmm. So at the root of addiction is an attachment. So alcohol, for example, if my attachment is to connection with others in community, and I feel like, because we've all heard people say this, like alcohol just lets me be myself. Mm -hmm. Well, so then the attachment is to the connection with the others in community. You just means you just view alcohol as the means by which you can have that. You can yeah. have that. Yeah. And so you become attached to the alcohol because of this. Yeah. Yeah. 
well, if after if we get to a place where where all of our attachments are to God, mm. then guess what I can do? I can wait. Yeah. Because in the waiting, I have what I'm waiting yeah. for. Yeah. If my attachment is to God Himself, yeah. and and it kind of goes back. We talked about this in a series of uh, back in uh, September when we we're talking about identity. You know that that. Um, I want to attach to God for significance, security, satisfaction, and to be seen. Mm -hmm. Well, you think about it, I guarantee you, every one of you watching this, if you stopped and thought for a minute, what are the things I attach to to help me feel seen, significant, satisfied, and secure, you will find the things that are the seed of addiction in your life mm -hmm. or are an actual addiction. Yeah. So how do I find security? Well, I numb out. How do I numb out? I use Netflix. I binge watch. Mm -hmm. Or I scroll through my phone and you know kind of become a vicarious observer of everybody else's life through Facebook mm -hmm. um, you know how do I find security well maybe I, I go find security in working out at the gym so then mm -hmm. I feel imposing mm -hmm. and threatening to people or I find security in being isolated because mm -hmm. if nobody's around I'm not threatened yeah. you know how do I find significance I become the loudest one in the room and you know all those things yeah and that's what the root of attachment and addiction is. So the long obedience in the same direction might be an obedience in one area, mm. which is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, right. and strength. That's really good. So maybe we'll switch from that because the, the word of attachment bridges the, the second piece we were going to talk about, which was trust. Right, right. So. And so you did a really good job of, in my mind, saying, hey, look, here's the three things you got to be aware of. You know, uh, I, I can't. Mm. Well, why can't I? Because... We are all, by nature, at this point, um, inadequate beings. Mm -hmm. I just can't. Mm -hmm. God can. Why? Because he is, by nature, a fully adequate being. Mm -hmm. And so I'll wait on God, Yeah. which yeah. brings the trust. So I was curious about how you saw the connection between the waiting mm. and trust. Yeah. That's a really excellent, <clears throat> it's an excellent question. So one of the things that I think I'm learning over the course of my Christian life is that, and I'm going to jump back into the attachment example. Um, if we don't see our relationship with God as truly relational, interactive, mm -hmm. personal, then we can actually start thinking that our concepts about God is what bring us close to God. Mm. But what I've realized over time, and this has come through a lot of spiritual practices actually, is there are times I have to quiet myself and remind myself that somehow the God of the universe would like to sit and spend time with me. Um, I find that remarkable, but it takes, I have to train my mind to, to really understand that if I believe that God wants an interactive, dynamic, ongoing, personal relationship with me, it really is that. Mm. So I would say that just like there's an, an, an analogy on, in human relationships, just as I've built relationships with significant people in my life before, which has taken, it's taken a lot of time and energy and, um, and waiting, if I use that example, of, of finding, putting the effort into the relationships, right. I'm finding more and more that as I put effort into my relationship with God, as a real personal being, as someone that wants to fellowship with me, who I can be in and he can be in me. Right, right. All of a sudden that starts to really change the, the way that I spend time with him and the level of trust for me is going way up yeah. because it yeah. really is beginning to become more of a, of a very personal thing where 
in the middle of something, I can say, but God, I trust you. Yeah. And I want things to go a certain way, and I long for this to be right, and I pray that it will, but God, I trust you. Ultimately, you're incredibly competent. You are, I think, resourceful, but beyond what I can imagine. Yeah. So I begin to actually act out of that, and that's been really good for me. Does that yeah. kind of make some sense? Yeah, it does. It makes a ton of sense, because I think one of the things that we've somehow— um, I wouldn't say intentionally by any means, but we've diminished is God's personhood. Mm. Well, and apart from personhood, we have no capacity to relate yeah. to non-persons. Yeah, yeah, very good, yeah. <laughs> and and so I think, you know, one of the things that, that, sorry, but to overdo this, which I have a tendency to do anyway, but if we go back to the church's response to the great enlightenment in the 1700s, right. where what became valued in the world, in the scientific world, was logic and reason. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the ways that we responded to that as the church, as the body of Christ, was to say, okay, let's talk about the logic and reason of Scripture. Yeah. Well, once we did that, we began to uh, depersonify God. Yeah. So now he became something that had to be tested and explained. and, and um, Sort of used, like we put him under the microscope. Right, mm -hmm. right, right, right. That's a really good way to say that. Mm -hmm. um, so that we could justify him in the presence of those who don't even believe in him. Right. Which is so far from my imagination. Yeah, yeah. You know, why would I try to justify God to those who don't even believe he exists. And then what we did is we used scripture to justify God to those who don't believe he exists. So we took the one book on the planet that they said is nothing to me and said, this is the evidence we're going to use to prove this. And in all that, what happened was as the church, as the body of Christ, we begin to depersonify, we shrunk God, we yeah. depersonified him. Yeah, so that's, for me, there's two things about that I, I really wanna get your comments on. One is, when we miniaturize God like that, and we begin to manage God, like we've got God on a leash, we have, we are real, well, we have reached the point of idolatry mm -hmm. because we've suddenly decided we have a God of our own making that we can manage for our yeah. own means and ends. Yeah. That's a really scary yeah. thing. The part I wanted you to comment on as we wrap up is the whole question of the scientific revolution that took place and the age of the uh, age of enlightenment had with it kind of one of its uh, slogans. Um, it really valued doubt. Yeah, yeah. And we as Christians have kind of countered doubt with evidence. But right. scripture itself has a different way of viewing doubt. Do you want to finish yeah. up by just yeah. talking about that? I'm laughing because I had this very conversation with Jared yesterday. We okay. had this exact same conversation. And and the world's response to doubt is certainty. What's the opposite right. of doubt is certainty. Right. But the the reality of God, the opposite of doubt is faith. Yeah. And and so when we have doubt, maybe one of the questions we ask ourselves to get back to that um, statement of I will wait on God. How do I know if I'm waiting on God or not? Yeah. Well, when I have doubt or questions or uncertainty, maybe the question we ask ourselves is, am I trying to find a way forward or am I trying to find a way to God? Yeah, yeah. In this doubt. Yeah. And if I'm trying to find the way forward, if I'm trying to resolve the doubt with understanding or knowledge or next clear step, mm -hmm. I may actually not be waiting on God. Right. But if I'm trying to find the way forward by going, okay, God, in this, you are here, and all I need to do is be with you, then I'm actually waiting on yeah, God. Yeah. So that's good. The last part of that then, that it all comes right back to the whole question of trust again. 
as I build my relationship with God, in the absence of having the immediate answers and control over the situation, as I wait, I can turn to God and say, yet I trust you. Right. I, you've revealed yourself to me to be someone I can deeply trust yeah. and I can follow. So that's it for this week. Um, you'll see some questions come up at the end of this uh, video. There are questions that go along with the sermon itself. Hope you can find something to talk about um, in the midst of the groups, and I hope you enjoyed our just interaction. Terry, would you mind closing us in prayer? For sure. Father, we know that you are. We know that you are God, yes, but we also know that you are a person, mm -hmm. that you are a being just like us who has a character and a nature and a personality and desires and an a, a ability to connect and relate. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's so transcendent to our understanding, but we also know that you're revealing that to us. And so God, I pray that, that you continue to reveal how we can connect with you, how you are connected to us, how you walk with us in life and how we can walk in you in this life mm. more and more in every moment. And I pray that that happens exponentially in this time of conversation and, and reviewing these questions in each of these groups, that the uh, desire to see you as who you are spills over to each other, to see each other as who we truly are, not as the sum total of our behaviors, our, our, our greatest moments or our worst moments, but as uh, people who have depth and personhood and who bear your image. And so God, in all of that, just ask that this time is a time of connecting more deeply to you and connect, connecting more deeply with one another through the truth and the reality that you long to be in relationship with us, that you are trustworthy and we can wait on you in all things. Mm. And we ask all that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great time in your groups and we'll see you Sunday.